Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to the Know Your Gear Live podcast number 243. Today is Christmas Eve. <laughs> so next Friday will be New Year's, Eve, New Year's Eve and it will be the same time as this week, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And that is to, uh, to, to just adjust to my family schedules and stuff like that that's going on. And that way we could still do the show, but I can kind of still have some of that time with the family. Okay, so here was a question from Frank who said he came early to the show and put a question. Frank said, Phil, I'm going to teach my 20-year-old, 20-plus-year-old nephew guitar. Best to teach him chords or well-known songs first. The question is, I always ask the student, is what do they want to get out of this? Now, they're going to say they don't know or they're going to be very vague because they probably don't know what they want. But what I mean by that is you can't just go, what do you want out of that? Like I just said, you got to kind of ask them some suggestive questions like, do you want to do this as a hobby for fun? And it doesn't matter if they change their mind later because then they can always change the journey in which they learn later. But for instance, it's like, what do you see out of this? You see yourself playing some songs around the campfire? Do you see yourself jamming with somebody one day? Do you see yourself, uh, you know, just alone practicing for the fun of it, for calming enjoyment? You have to find, especially with an adult, there's got to be a goal. I love this story because it's true. We once had a student who came in. The man was 65 years old and all he wanted to learn was The River by Garth Brooks for his next anniversary. And he came in and his one question to us was, can I learn the song The River? And he could sing. You know, he sings pretty decent. He goes, I want to play it and sing it in one year. And he goes, can you do that? And I said, yeah, of course. <laughs> and he said, I just went to two places that told me no. And I said, well, if all you do is that song all day and you go to one lesson every week, 52 weeks from now, 52 weeks from now, somebody's helping you focus on that. And true story, of course, as you can imagine, he learned that song and played that song for his wife. So that was his goal. Now, here's what's funny. After he did that, he didn't stop taking lessons. He was like, okay, I want to learn other stuff. <laughs> In fact, I think he actually got it before that. And then we start, you know, he said, I'll keep going and learn other stuff. So that's my point. You got to find what their interest is because this is where I'm going with this. That's really the success line. It's not how good you teach. It's how much they're interested in it and what their success is or what they view success in the instrument is. What is it they're going to get their joy from? Making music, learning an instrument, learning music theory. I like, uh, as you guys know, an analogies. And one of the analogies I like is uh, with music, I find music a lot like cooking. There's two types of cooking, in my opinion. There's what I call salt to taste. It's, it's people who literally cook by just kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing, but when it tastes right, I'll know it's good. And music, musicians kind of like hunt and peck around and do that kind of stuff and play a little stuff. They salt to taste play. There's nothing wrong with that. And then there are musicians who are like chefs who are like, I want to know why all these ingredients work together. I want to know why this changes the flavor of that. And so again, if you start out anyone on any particular journey, you might lose them. And again, back to the analogy, if I said, I, I really like Cajun food and you're like, okay, great. Well, to, to learn how to cook, we're going to learn Italian. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I only eat Cajun food. So again, you got to find their goal. So I would talk to him, just see what his goals are. And if he doesn't know, just help him, help him figure out what, the, what it is. And once you set that goal, then you can decide how you want to start teaching that. When I started playing guitar, I had no interest in soloing at all. When I, my very first guitar lesson ever, that uh, was very clear. I was very clear. As a you know, 15, 16-year-old kid, I told the teacher, like, in my mindset, I was going to be, you know, my dream starting guitar was kind of like, I was going to be in a band one day playing behind somebody who was really talented. That was like, I already kind of saw that as a vision. And so when he was like, skills, shred, I was like, no. <laughs> I just want rhythm. And then slowly I figured out, well, then really I should just be a bass player because that's essentially what I'm doing too. I wanted somebody to do all that stuff and I just wanted to hold down the music part. That's just what I wanted out of music. That's my suggestion, Frank. I hope that helps. Congratulations on getting somebody into guitar though and have, have fun, man. That's the best thing I'm going to give advice to you. Have fun. <laughs> Uh, I thought about drinking alcohol today. Oh, that's another thing too. I, I gotta, let me find it. Somebody, um, I'm gonna ask you guys for a favor because I could not find this. Last week, a viewer named Hog Rotten super chatted me $5 for a jalapeno jalapeno beer jalapeno beer. And so I went to the liquor store this week to buy a jalapeno beer. I thought it'd be funny to drink it today. They couldn't find one. So the reason I'm telling you guys this, you know, you guys are my resources. If any of you know where to get a jalapeno beer, you know, could you please send that to me at the pmcknight7 gmail? I don't care if it's 10 of you or whatever, just send that to me. I'm going to buy one and drink it. Uh, he paid the five bucks. I want to spend his money on that jalapeno beer because I don't know. <laughs> maybe what I'll do, maybe that would be cool. Maybe... I mean, this could be half cheating and half a uh, cool idea. 
So maybe we'll, if I can find a jalapeno beer. Now, remember, we're going to stay jalapeno. Don't know habanero beer. No crazy death chili beer. <laughs> maybe I'll do that. I don't know. But jalapeno beer, I was thinking uh, just now, uh, if you guys do find one for me and send it to me, I'll buy it. And then what we could do is uh, maybe uh, during the show, I'll drink it. And if I drink the whole thing, everything, you know, maybe we'll do a donation to a charity or something. You know what I mean? Kind of like. You know, one of those things like, if I finish this whole beer, we're going to donate 50 bucks to charity or something like that. And if I don't finish the beer, that's how you should probably do it. <laughs> if I finish the beer, it's 50 bucks of charity. And if I don't, it's 100 bucks of charity. Woohoo! <laughs> Maybe the other way around. I don't know how you, how, how you would do it. But that's my idea. Please, guys, if you guys know anything, please send it. Uh, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Figure, tap those resources. You guys are like, happy Arbor Day. I know everybody doesn't uh, celebrate Christmas, of course, and and uh, and uh, I don't even know if I celebrate Christmas half the time. I don't know what what I'm doing day to day, but I, I do know that it is Christmas Eve, so that's why uh, a lot of people are talking about Christmas today, and that's I think that's perfectly fine. Dan Brown says, do I have any nightmare employee stories? Oh, well, of course. Of course. Anyone who's hired and had employees have had issues with them or, uh, and, 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 you know, I mean, maybe I've had theft issues, stuff like that. I mean, I have. <laughs> I say maybe. It's like, eh, I have nothing to the point where it was like, you know, you need to get the police involved or you need to get insurance involved or anything like that. Nothing wacky like that. You know, I've been very lucky to have such great relationships with most of the people I've worked with. Uh, very few times have I had uh, issues with employees. But I will tell you this. I've had two issues with employees that always will stick out in my head that are were learning lessons. One is, is, is was bad for them and one was bad for me. So I'll give you both. And then, and then I know this is kind of a bummer, but maybe it's interesting. And I like to say at least this stuff, maybe if you have businesses and stuff, you can learn from this. So in what happened when, with one of the employees, it was a guitar teacher that was working for the store. And he'd been there for a couple years and the recession hit. And what happened happened was the store in in the recession I, I may have talked about this in the recession the lesson programs boomed i mean they were just killing it was the other stuff that wasn't doing well you did repair for me lightened up a little bit but not much so that was good lessons boomed and guitar sales fell. And a lot of that logic was a lot of things happened in the recession. Parents, because they couldn't go on vacations, they would just let their kids stay in lessons over the summer. So we where we would drop in summer, we didn't. And as you know, it's like, once you drop, you got to work it back up. And you know, it's just like a gym membership. You're always trying to get new students in. So that happened. But also what I learned from that recession that was really interesting having a lesson academy that was a large one. And of course, the music store was parents really, they they let their children suffer last. And then what I mean by that is like parents will go to great lengths to make the kids think that things aren't as bad as they are. <laughs> so kids stayed. I mean, I know because here's why I know this. I didn't have to handle any of this stuff. And I know this is a, a segue to that employee issue, but I want you to have the backstory. My wife, you know, handled all this stuff and handled all the customers when it came to lessons for the most part. And so my wife could tell you more detailed information about what I'm about to tell you, which is during that time, man, she had had so many, I mean, I, I saw the books, so many cockamamie payment plans because people were struggling. We would put people on like discounts for like three months, like almost uh, like a forbearance or, or a, uh, you know, kind of deferral kind of thing. Like, Hey, your lessons are this much a month. This is the portion the store gets. We'll, we'll forego, forego a piece of that. You know what I mean? We never took it. We never let the tears take a discount. So we would always take it on our end because our pie comes from lots of little pieces. So when you lose a few pieces here and there, the pie doesn't shrink so much, but if you're obviously a teacher, your pie is much smaller and it shrinks really fast. So, um, so she would have all these ways of getting paid and stuff. So it was a tough time, but the, the students were great. So what happened was I'll never forget this. This teacher came to us and said his wife got laid off from her job and he's financially just like ruined from this. You know, is there anything we can do? Now, what happened was uh, we started giving him extra students. So in other words, when students come in, we're like, if they would fit, we'd try to push them on uh, uh, to him, right? To get him just kind of beefed up. And then a teacher quit. The teacher had about 60 students. And so what happened was I taught there as well too at the store. And so what happened was my wife came to me and said, you need to take this roster of students because financially it'd be great for us with the lost revenues from the income of the retail side. This will fill the gap. Like we'll be set. And I'm like, all right, I agreed to do it. And I might be telling this slightly out of order, but he had came to us and said his wife lost her job. He needs the money really bad. So we had a talk that night after we talked to him. And then my wife and I agreed that he would get the students. So they went to him. So his roster was full. He was just loaded. 
this is why it was a horrible experience <laughs> for me, because <laughs> it's a really bad experience. And you'll explain, uh, you'll understand why in a second, because it still to this day pisses me off and upsets me. So that's why I'm, I'm moving at a different pace right now, telling you the story. So how it went down was we had loaded him up with students. I couldn't tell you if it was a couple weeks after that, maybe it was a month or two after we loaded him up, but he was loaded with students. And then one day I got a call, I'll never forget this call ever in my life, uh, a woman on the other end, I answer, and she says, how do you have, I think she said the F word, but I don't remember. She goes, how do you have the nerve to ask my child to come to your apartment and give him guitar lessons? And I go, what are you talking about? Like, I was in shock. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, if you're going to start teaching lessons at your apartment, then you tell me and not my child. And she's screaming at me. I mean, she was beaming mad. The problem was I'm super confused because I have no idea what she's talking about. And so I, I finally got her to calm down. And I said, look, ma'am, I'm sorry. I, I'm the owner here. I'm one of the owners. I don't know what's going on. How can I help you? And then she proceeds to tell me that that teacher that I just gave 60 students to has been moving them all sideways. And he actually is quitting the store, but he didn't tell us. And he moved all the students to his apartment down the street. So I uh, was furious, as you can imagine. And uh, I try to stay even killed. I'm pretty even killed. It, very, it, it takes... If I do lose my uh, temper, it's short because I'll, I'll calm down quick enough to re realize what's going on. In that case, I didn't blow up because I was just really at that point. Uh, you can imagine I just wanted to explain the situation. So I explained it to the mom. Everything was fine. And then after I got her all calm and everything worked out, I got her to talk to my wife. And then she obviously rescheduled the student to stay with us with another teacher. And then I had to go right then into his lesson room and tell him he has to leave the premises like immediately. And he was like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> like, you have to leave. The crazy part of this story is, sure, does teachers do that? Sure, is that things happen? Yes. Uh, did we have contracts? This is what's interesting about this. We never had a non-compete contract in our lesson programs. Sometimes they have that. Like, if you leave teaching here, you can, you know, you can't teach within two miles or whatever the deal is. There's all these non-competes. We didn't have that. We only had two things in the contract <laughs> besides ethics clauses. We had ethics clauses. The two things in the contract was you were not allowed to solicit students to leave on our time. In other words, if I'm paying you, you can't solicit them to leave. So that's what he was doing verbatim, doing that. The one thing that it's in the contract he can't do is the second thing you got to do is you got to give us 30 days notice and that's it. That's it. If you do those two things, you, you know, I never played the, these are your students, these are my students game. I never played any of that stuff. It was always very simple. And I used to say this to everybody. If you're going to leave, when you're here, teach your students, then go home and call your students on your time and solicit them to leave. Not on my time. So I was pissed to this day. Luckily, I learned nothing from that. And I'm going to say that in the weirdest way. That's one of those things in life where if I would have learned what you're supposed to learn from that, I would not like anybody and trust anybody ever again. I couldn't tell you what that cost me. It was a financially horrible horrible year to say the least on epic proportions and it was a miss it was a miscalculation but i learned from that but i didn't learn enough thank god that i think all people are horrible so that was a pretty bad one you know the worst part actually you know the hit and then i'm, I'm done we'll go to the next thing i'm not gonna talk with the others <laughs> the other employee down today we'll just think that's enough the worst part was I don't know why I did this to this day, but the when the day I went, so we went home to talk about what we're going to do with him and the students, you know, when we were going to give him the students. And we agreed that night we would give him the 60 new students. And then the next day to tell him that I got the 60 students, I went to Walgreens. This is a stupid story, but it's so sad. I went to Walgreens and I got him a thank you card and I put a $100 bill in it. <laughs> I remember like, cause I had this $100 bill, I put it in there and I wrote in the card, like, thank you for everything you're doing for us. You know, it's great to have you, you know, part of this and, you know, here, we're going to let you have all the students, uh, from this other teacher and here's a hundred dollars. It's not, I know it's not much. I wrote in there like, I know it's not much, but it like, it's something. My back still hurts from that knife. <laughs> So he says, I like nightmare stories. I like now that time goes by. Look, all this stuff when time goes by. I probably wasn't pissed at even a year later. So, I mean, it's not like it took years to get over it. But yeah, somebody says you should have called 911. You know, here's here's the thing. And to this day, it, all that stuff hurts. But the thing, man, I don't know if you've ever experienced that experience I had having this, having that woman, I mean, screaming at me. I mean, she was so mad and not screaming like, you know how people screaming like crazy? She wasn't crazy. She was very focused. This was like a mama bear pissed as hell at me because she didn't know. She doesn't know who gives her kid lessons. She didn't know anything. She was just, she just was ready to tear open to the first person's the phone. It just happened to be me. 
But the good news is, oh, let's find the good news. And the good news is this, she called the store. She could have easily called him and I would have never known any of this stuff. Oh, there is a funny story into this story. I don't know if this is true. I heard this to be true. That somehow he like lost all the students and then decided to like move back to the East Coast and put his uh, stuff in storage. And I guess all his store stuff in storage got robbed. I could have been just told this stuff by friends and, you know, friends of friends just to make me feel better. Like, ah, oh, don't worry, everything happened and crappy to him. But I don't know that to be true. You know what? I hope he's fine. How about that? Uh, Gene wants to know what I think of Splenamps. I like Splenamps. I, I like all, look, I like Marshalls. So I like anybody who makes any kind of modded type Marshall thing. So, uh, you know, Wizard, I love those. Uh, uh, amps, I like Splons. Um, uh, what's the other one that I, I don't know why I'm, uh, 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 Fargin amps are really cool uh, Marshall modded amps. There's a lot of great Marshall modded amps. I feel like Marshall's always missed the boat on this. I feel like Fender adopted it, which is why I, I really makes me sad that Marshall did. And what, what I mean by that is over the years, people have modified Fenders. And at some point, Fenders kind of embraced that. The 68 series of, of amps is basically what somebody else did to their amps you know i mean think of this the 68 series if you don't know the 68 prints in the 68 fiber Lux 68 deluxe reverb what those really are and now they have the 68s uh the other ones now right they have two or three other ones now what those really are and their different versions are essentially when the silver face amps you know everybody really didn't want them they wanted the black face amps and so the silver face amps for years i mean if you, you don't have to be very old to remember this you used to go into music stores in the 90s and silver face amps were just a buck they were nothing you could buy them for nothing because, I mean, people were valuing blackface, but not silverface amps. Just nobody wanted them. And so a lot of people like Kendrick and stuff like that, a lot of people, and there's probably others a lot more, uh, you know, out there, but Kendrick's the ones I, I think of. Um, they just started modding them. You know, they were like, they're good amps. And you can, you know, good platforms and they would mod them up and people would buy them and then they would start going for good money. And at some point, Fender was like, let's just do that. You know what I mean? Make a more production version of a modded amp, which actually I like for a couple of reasons. One of the things that people kind of don't talk about when it comes to the kind of out of the garage boutique amp builder concept is sometimes uh, things break. You know what I mean? And they're, they're delicate and they're not much different than old amps where they just they're not, you know, they're not as they're not built and designed the same way. Sometimes there's good things about them, but sometimes there's good things about production level amps where a company is sitting there and testing to see how long this thing can take abuse and see if it can, you know, it can, it could go the distance. And so Fender making those kind of amps and all tons of other versions also, I think is very smart. I wish Marshall would do the same thing. There's so many great modded Marshalls out there. I don't understand why Marshall just doesn't, I mean, Marshall hasn't really been putting out anything for the most part, but I mean, at least they could put out some modded uh, JCM 800s and some modded Plexis. Here's Especially now, a lot of times you can't find any legitimate modded amps anymore, reasonably priced, you know, because everybody kind of is in the know. Question is from the Panda says, happy holidays, building a 212 cabinet from my 59 basement clone. What do you think about mixing Alnico and ceramic speaker with the, this cover most? Well, cover most, like most sounds and, and stuff like that. Sure. I love mix, uh, mixing the speakers up. Obviously, a ton of companies do that. Uh, Bogner does it. Uh, 65 Amps does it. I think Divided by 13 does it. I mean, a ton of companies do now. I mean, it's just becoming more and more trend. It's It makes total sense. There's things that are beautiful that happen when you mix two speakers. First of all, let's just talk about one cool thing that happens when you have a 212 cabinet and you put two different speakers in it is that essentially now you can mic both speakers or either of those speakers and get a different tone every time so for instance if you like uh like a good example is a really generic uh mix that people do a lot is the is a uh, vintage 30 and a gt75 that's actually bogner has the mixes where they do that in the 412s and stuff and 212s and so what's nice about that is the gt75 gets a little more fizzy and so you get a little bit more of that crunchy fizzy distortion on the end but you get the punch in the mids of that vintage 30 and what's great is you can mic the Vintage 30. I mean, you can mic either one. But in my case, I would probably like those two combo speakers. Actually, I do. I have that set in a cabinet. And I mic the Vintage 30 because I think the Vintage 30 mics a little better sometimes for what I want to to have as the signal that's going into the recording. And uh, same thing. You could put a, a blue Alnico speaker uh, with a with a green back. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. And the other advantage of mixing speakers, besides the fact that there's just two tone, tone differences and you can mic them, is sometimes, you have to understand, there's this really cool thing that happens with speakers, and we don't have to even know why it happens. <laughs> you just need to know that it's going to happen. For instance, if you put a, a, a greenback selection, a 30-watt greenback selection in a speaker cabinet, I don't care what the ohms are, okay? Uh, and then you put a vintage 30 in there, which is a 75-watt speaker, they, they both are 30 watts. 
Did you know that? That's kind of a cool little thing. So that's the best. Just go off that for the rest of your life. You'll be safe. It's pretty general, and it's going to apply to almost every situation. So in other words, if you put in uh, speakers in a 412 or a 212 cabinet that are mix-matched wattages, whatever the lowest wattages, remember, you can't mix-match the ohms. (laughs) Okay, you get, you, you got to know what you're doing. So so definitely keep them if they're all 16s or all 8s, and you got to know how to wire them and all that stuff. That's not a problem. But we're talking about wattage only. If you put in a, like a 300-watt speaker, like if you put a 300-watt EV speaker in a cabinet with a 75-watt greenback or a 75-watt vintage 30, they're both 75 watts. Ace says, just snagged a Michael Sweet Striper Signature Flying V on Reverb. Basically new, came with the original gig bag and a Gator hard case. Oh, both? That's cool. I, I've had that happen once where somebody gave you a case and a gig bag. It's pretty cool. For a 1000 bucks, seems like a sweet deal. Unrelated to uh, how much does a nicked fret devalue the guitar? You should be able to fix that, no problem. Uh, so here's the deal on nick fret, nicked frets. Um, just like I've done videos where I've shown you that you don't have to crown and level an entire fretboard, right? You don't have to do that. You can spot uh, level and crown frets. You can also spot replace frets. Uh, it's really common. It's been done for many, many years. Uh, some techs now don't do it as often. I'm not sure why. Um, the, usually there's rules. I have rules too. To me, it's a six, but really my magic number is four. In other words, I like I want four, but sometimes I'll push to six for the you know because the customer's kind of puppy eyed. Basically, if I find I have to replace up to more than six frets, then we're replacing all your frets. <laughs> I'm not going to replace like seven frets, eight frets, because uh, after a while, it's just easier to just pull them all and just redo the whole thing. But yeah, I do it all the time. You get a fret. Like sometimes it happens a lot. A guitar falls and hits a counter or a table and the string smashes and dents. And I mean, really dents into the fret and and and, and the, the, the dent is so deep that there's just no way to fix that. We just pull the fret and put a new fret in. So to answer your question, a nicked fret, in most cases, you can polish it out, you know, kind of fix it and crown all of them. And just, you know, then life is just good. So it depends on how deep it is. If it's so deep that that's just not going to be the case because either A, it's, I mean, psychotically deep, you know, really deep. But that's not usually the case. What's really the case is, is that it's so deep that if you, once you level all the frets to that depth of how you know far you got to go before it's smooth again, now your frets are like, you know, super thin and nobody wants that. So uh, sometimes you're like, okay, let's just refret. But in most cases, you'll pull the fret and just redo the fret. You don't put a new fret in. So that's it. That's how, that's it. And by the way, great score on the guitar. Michael Sweet's amazing, by the way. Fantastic guitar player. Fantastic singer. Just fantastic. Um, the only thing, only thing I, I can't, I, I've, I was a Striper fan and I am a Striper fan and I'm a Michael Sweet fan for sure. In fact, if you like Michael Sweet, definitely check out the Sweet and Lynch where he, he did the album with George Lynch. That's fantastic. Um, uh, but I was going to tell you, I, growing up in high school, in high school, when I grew up, I had a friend whose parents were extremely religious and uh, he couldn't listen to anything that wasn't Christian music. And he, the only thing we could listen to <laughs> was, um, okay, it was Striper and Amy Grant. <laughs> I'm not making that up. And that's how I became a Striper fan, because we were desperate. It's not like now, where you can go to a Christian store and you can get, like, uh, the equivalent of death metal in Christian music or gangster rap in Christian music. I mean, you get any kind of music you want, just it'll be Christian, uh, you know, themed or whatever. But back then, it was like Striper. <laughs> That was that was what you got, and uh, and uh, but I was gonna tell you the thing that makes me laugh is I read Scott Ian's book from Anthrax, and he talks about the time Striper opened for Anthrax, and I can never unhear the story about how Striper opened for Anthrax and threw little Bibles in the audience, and the audience started pelting Stripe, Striper with the the Bibles back. Um, but I'm a Striper fan, but that story is still kind of funny. <laughs> Just because I always, I, I go, I thought to myself, I go, I guess Striper really <laughs> thought this was a good idea. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs> all right, let's go to the next one. Travis, Travis says, hey, Phil, have you been able to put your hands on one of those G-Series Gibson Acoustics? I'm really interested, and it seems like a, a decent price point. You know, I talked to Sweetwater. That was originally when Sweetwater started reaching out and asking about uh, sending stuff to the channel. That was one of the first things they asked to send out, and I said, absolutely, and then they never sent it out. So maybe they found some other channels to do that. Uh, those videos. Um, 
I love the idea of those guitars, the G series by Gibson Acoustics. Acoustics are just one of those things like they just don't send, you know, companies just don't send a whole lot of them to the channel. It's funny. Acoustics, my acoustic curse is the same as my bass guitar curse. You guys will come to me all the time and say, hey, you should do a video about these things. And the problem is I love acoustic and I love bass, but I don't love collecting acoustics and I don't love collecting basses. I play bass. And like I said, when I play guitar at home, most of the time I'm on my acoustic, but I don't collect them. So I can make like two videos because I got like, I own like, well, right now I own like three basses and I own like two acoustics. That's what I play all the time. Ever tried Q pickups out of, I don't know, Croatia? Uh, nope. Uh, he says, I got their quarter pounder set for telly, really big, warm, full sounding. Absolutely love it. Well, I would imagine a quarter pounder set, obviously quarter pounder is usually what, uh, Seymour, uh, Seymour Duncan was calling it. Uh, essentially, uh, those are P90s, right? That's what they're going after. Y you know, I like, I like when it comes to pedals, which I'm not extremely versed in, but pickups obviously more so, but I like to use, when it's whether it's guitars, pickups, pedals, or amps, I like to use this kind of like history anatomy kind of thing. Like in other words, like this pedal comes lineage comes from a tube screamer. Uh, this amp comes from you know a Marshall or a Fender. Uh, this pickup comes from a PAF or from a, a P90. And so the that I would imagine they sound great. I I've always said this. I always think P90s sound amazing. I think they're one of the best sounding pickups out there. They do what I like that single coils do, and they do what I like that humbuckers do. And the only thing that sucks is they have, you know, they have 60 cycle hum, but, you know, you just got to deal with what you got to deal with. <laughs> One of the questions I got to ask when I was interviewing, um, when I was interviewing Phil X, if you watch that video still on my channel, uh, in the interview, I said, how do you control that noise with a P90 when you're playing? I'm just more vodka when you're playing in the arena and he's like i just turn the knob really fast <laughs> and he does it and he's like just like that i was like well there's your answer and rico says do you think that as millennials and z's age they'll keep the demand for the custom shop tier of guitars i don't see z spending fifteen thousand dollars all we can do is poke theories out there right it really goes down to why do you want those guitars not will they want the guitars that's not the right question in my mind it's not about will somebody want it it's why do people want it? I want to tell you that, look, in my lifetime, I had a pager. As soon as my wife's like, I'm pregnant. I'm like, okay, I need to get a pager. So that dates me right there. So I had a pager. I've had a cell phone. Life is different now with a smart, you know, computer in my pocket now than it was for, you know, like everybody else. Life is different. Everything's changing. Technology's changing constantly. And what I like to point out is, sure, does the internet come? Does that change? Everything starts changing. So people say things are totally different. Well, they are, but watch how some things don't change at all. I met my wife. Uh, obviously, I met her in junior high and we knew each other in high school. We started dating in our 20s. We met, I would say, through traditional methods. Like we just were in the same circle and we met each other and then that led to a relationship. And that was, by, by the way, this is my joke. When somebody first told me, the first time I ever heard somebody say, how can somebody buy a guitar online? This is in 2004, I'll never, maybe three. Somebody goes, who the hell would buy a guitar online? I said, I don't know. I have a friend who got his wife online. Or met his wife online, I shouldn't say got her. Met her. I go, so if you can get your wife online, I'm pretty sure you could justify a guitar. <laughs> Right. I'm like, I don't think that's a far stretch. So what's my point to this? My point is, is that people really don't change as much as people think they do. You still court each other the same way. There's still politenesses in society. Like people talk about trolls and the internet and stuff, but still there's still some, some, some efficacy in how things are done. People still interact the same way. That's what you have to ask yourself. That's what I ask myself. It's not, you know, what is this stuff going to be worth? It's why do people want it? And will that change? And here's why I don't think it's going to change. And I've said this before, because why people collect guitars, by the way, I like to point out on a side note, I love it how they try to say, I just said this at dinner the other night. I like how they try to make boomers sound like a, like a derogatory thing when they're like, okay, boomer, whatever they say. And I always think, but boomer was the coolest person on Battlestar Galactica. But anyways, my point is, what's my point? My point is, is that, um, everybody says the same thing. Oh, you want the guitar that you wanted when you were young. Kind of true. However, I like to go a little deeper in that. You want the guitar that the person you idolize or the music you idolize had because that music. So here's the argument. The argument is not, will a, and I'm going back to your core question, okay? So we're on there. This is, uh, will a millennial want a Gibson Les Paul in 20 years when it has no relevance to them? Well, here's what's funny. It depends on what's relevant at that time. If Slash is still relevant, that probably will. If Paige is still relevant, they probably will. 
If the artists that's inspired by those artists are still relevant, they probably will. It's hard to say. I don't think it's uh, silly to say that it will decrease. It'll never go out of style and never die. There's always people that just want to spend their money on stuff. You know, you work and then you need a treat. That's just how that works. Uh, I don't think that's ever going to change anytime soon. I think there'll still be value because I think the music has value. I really believe that. I really think that. And here's why I think that. I don't know what it is, but growing up, when I grew up, I listened to all the music my parents listened to. They they played it for me, and I remember hearing it, and I remember this. I remember my mom hated all the music. I mean, my mom in her 40s. My mom would tell me she would hate all the music her parents listened to. She hated all that stuff. And she liked rock and roll, because, you know, her generation is first generation rock and roll. And I thought her rock and roll was silly. <laughs> I mean, this is realistic. I'm, now I appreciate it, but also I'm attached to a memory of listening to it in the car with my mother. And so I, I became a fan of it, a, a huge fan, actually, of it. But the point is, like, in my teenage 20s, you know, and stuff, I just, I know it, no, no, I had no appeal to listen to music from the 50s or 60s. None. Not in the 80s and 90s. That was, none of that stuff was relevant to me in any way, and anyone I knew as a whole. Now, a reason I point that out is not to ins- insult anyone's music choices, because like I said, I, I do like that music now. What I see now is weird. I see people who are 20, and they like the music I grew up with. It's weird. It's weird. They like Now they like the 70s and 80s stuff. It's funny to me. I think the music, at a certain point, and I think it's really when rock and roll kicks, I think it just becomes relevant forever i don't know could be totally wrong it could be all fake too i mean we have to take into account that they still do buy acdc t-shirts at target i think there's not a single person watching this show right now who hasn't i just happened to me this week at the mall walking in the mall and i see some teenage girl with a led zeppelin shirt and i think i wonder if she could name one led zeppelin song and then i thought how weird would it be if i was this random dude just walked up and go hey can you name a led zeppelin song <laughs> I was with my daughter and my son. I'm thinking, well, it would be that weird, right? We're a family. And I'd be like, hey, you like Zeppelin? What song? But and, and So I decided not to do it, for one, because uh, it kind of seemed weird. But two, deep down, I thought, she's going to say no. <laughs> and worse, she's going to be like, why are you asking me? And I'll be like, well, your shirt's Led Zeppelin on your shirt. She'll be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's another reason for this too and again none of this is going to be proof of anything is uh i'm a perfect example i'm sitting right now with a perfect example that steve i jim is so crazy to me when i was when i was a kid and i was started playing guitar that you know everybody had these flashy 80s guitars and then i you know i told you guys this i by the time i started playing guitar grunge had already had already rooted itself in so that stuff was already dead but i started playing guitar thinking that stuff was cool but i never got to really kind of play that stuff and so the funny part of the story is my whole life everyone's like that stuff is junk and it'll never be worth anything that guitar is worth I mean, that guitar knew in 1999, which is, I don't care, that's not that far ago. 1999, that guitar was worth $1,000 brand new. Now they're asking six and $7,000 for them. So, I mean, there is this thing seems to continue. And doctors and lawyers, and everybody keeps forgetting. I love the doctor-lawyer thing. It's kind of funny. I just like to point this out because uh, I sold, I just like to tell you this every time. I sold millions of dollars. I don't say that for bragging purposes because there's no there's no money in this industry. So when I say I sold millions of dollars of guitars, I didn't make millions. I didn't <laughs> you make pennies. But I sold millions of dollars of guitars, me personally, to people. And I can tell you who buys all the expensive guitars. It's engineers. Mechanical, electrical, software engineers. They buy they buy stuff. They're the doctors and lawyers of today. They have the money and they're into stuff. And they buy it. I'm sure there's doctors and lawyers too. I just like to point out they're not, it's always funny to me. It's like they always want to pay, peg the doctors and lawyers. I'm like, but the engineers are they're doing it and I think they're cool. So how about that? Ja- uh, Jamie says, thanks for everything you do. You're my morning walk uh, podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. I can tell. I get to tell now. It's kind of funny. It's weird. YouTube videos, you don't get to tell, right? In other words, you put out the video and it gets a, like, it's a little bump in views and then it slows down. Sometimes you get a little bit more bump. And then over years, you look back and it's grown a little bit or whatever. The podcast is a wacky thing, man. Whether it's streaming or it's on YouTube, which mostly it's the streaming thing. I can literally see you guys watch it. Not you, you know, specifically. So don't worry. I'm not like looking and like, hey, what are you guys watching? Um, like, uh, it'll go right after this releases, it'll jump, and then it goes dormant. It doesn't move at all. And then Saturday morning, it jumps again. 
And then it goes dormant, and the Saturday afternoon it jumps. Like literally all, exactly at those times. And then Sunday morning it jumps again, and it goes dead all day. And then Saturday, Sunday night goes a little bit more. And then Monday morning, like on the way to work, it sh- jumps again. So you can tell how people are consuming it. Gene's question says, when can you consider yourself a musician? The rule I have used forever is this. You're a guitar player when you own a guitar. That's all it takes. So if you own a guitar, you can officially walk in anywhere as far as I can, uh, as far as I care. You can literally tell anybody, um, uh, you can tell anybody you're a guitar player. (laughs) You own a guitar, you're a guitar player. If you could play a guitar, you're a musician. I don't think you, well, you have to play guitar well. I don't understand uh, that. That's not relevant, I don't think. If you make music, you're a musician. That's simple. Uh, some people would disagree, but as those people would disagree, they would also be the probably be the people that may have stopped real musicians from being musicians. <laughs> you know, right? How many times you heard this musician's horrible, yet then we end up loving all their music, right? Uh, people are like that with singers more so than anyone else. They're like, this singer's horrible, and they shouldn't sing. And then twenty years later, they become this huge sensation singer. I don't mean the auto-tune singers. I'm talking about, you know. You know, talking about just singers that just don't have it, the pipes, so to speak. But yeah, so no, musician, if you can, if you make music, you're a musician. Um, and then you can throw in later if you're, you know, a professional musician. This is a true story. I got, I don't know why, but I, I, uh, I, uh, it was Rick Beato that asked me this or asked us at a table. I shouldn't say it. It's not like a name drop, like, oh, I was hanging out with Rick Beato, but I was at an event. And there was a bunch of YouTube channels there, and Rick Beato was there, and we were all eating barbecue and at the table. And it was like Rich Shaw, RJ Rinkilio, Rick Beato. I'm trying to think who was sitting at the table. There's a bunch of them there, but I'm trying to think who was at the table with us. There was a couple of people. Uh, it was Robert, who owns part of Friedman Amps. Um, and the relevance of this stuff is he, Rick Beato, I don't know what he did with it, but he asked every single person, uh, what, what is a professional musician? And uh, he asked me, and I just remember this. I go, I don't know, anybody who makes money making music? And he says, that's what everybody says. And apparently he didn't like the answer. I don't mean like he was upset. He's just like that, you know, he was hope. I think it was like it was disappointment. Like, really? Everybody's giving me that answer. I think he was trying to do a video or some work up an idea in his head. Like, what makes a professional musician? But that's what I think of as a professional musician is somebody who makes money at it. There are. Uh, Fret Level Midnight says there are musicians and then there are talented musicians. Uh, sure, of course, these are two different things. I could see that point. Uh, it's tough, right? It's funny how this works. There's always this weird, like, you know, you're trying to be nice. You know, you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. I don't really think that's what it is for me. And everybody's gonna have different feeling about this. And I, I for me, everything is a cautionary tale of mistakes. I, I. Uh, Look, the first time I heard Primus, I thought it was dog shit. Excuse my language. It was horrible. My friend came to me. I'll never forget this. It was before class, first, right? Before first period class, sitting in front of the school. Talk about a vivid memory. He walks up with it. Doesn't even ask me. He just throws headphones on, on, on me. You know, the old ones with the foam rubber little things. And he sticks on my head, and he plays me Too Many Puppies, right? And he's like, Too Many Puppies. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And he's like, it's Primus. And I go, this is horrible. Not like horrible because it's puppy things too. It's just horrible music. I thought it was the worst thing ever. I thought it was a joke. I was like, what, did you get a four-track cassette player and make crap? I remember like, get this off. And I was like, eh. And he would not shut up. And it was like at lunchtime, he's like, listen to this. And I was like, ah. Oh. And then, uh, long long story short, I love Primus. <laughs> so that's the problem. Right, that's the problem. Is that's why I'm cautionary. You, you, uh, uh, Fret level midnight's absolutely correct in his statement. The reason I'm I'm personally cautionary is I have a list of bands that I can tell you that I thought were just horrible, and now I love them. And I can tell you bands that I thought were amazing when I heard them. And now if I listen to them, I almost want to just immediately stick my head underwater for about six minutes. Um, and and that's just what it is, right? So that's why I said it's you, you got to be a little open-minded to it, but there's nothing wrong with being a little critical of it as well. So. Yeah. 
Uh, he's talking about uh, first time he heard Winona's Big Brown Beaver, he lost it. Yeah, it's weird. I, it was just, it was weird. Um, and you know what's great about Primus for me is it was so weird that it opened up things to me that I wouldn't have considered before. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't have listened to Suicidal Tendencies if I didn't under, you know, I didn't hear Primus. I, I know that's not really connected, but it is connected, right? It's like all of a sudden I was, I started hearing music as something different than. I, what I, mean, I immediately just like this, or this person is just you know talented. Obviously, Les Claypool is talented, but uh, to me, it wasn't never Les Claypool was never the issue. It was that guitar player's noises were just so weird, and the whole thing was weird. But now I like it. Oh, by the way, that leads me down the road to Frank Zappa. By the way, that's how that opens up, right? All of a sudden, you're like things that are just not so easily defined as consumable. Um, you know, easy consumable music. All of a sudden, I'm like, okay. Uh, and it taught me the thing. It taught me the lesson I really l- needed to learn in life, and I learned it very l- young. And I'm very happy, which is not everything is a one listen. You got to listen to some, some stuff a few times. It's okay to still hate it. I can listen to a band ten times, and at the end, go still garbage. <laughs> but I definitely give it that. Uh, I give it that uh, that extra second, third, fourth shot. So. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just reading some of you guys' comments about skill levels and and, and stuff. I, it's a great conversation. I love talking about, uh, you know, musicians and and when when they're real and not real. Fred Levo Midnight says, "I do not understand the appeal of the acoustic pancake guitar at all. Ugly, overpriced, in my opinion. Um, really, I understand the appeal. You want it to be great, so I understand why. Look, I want it to be an acoustic guitar that fills an electric guitar is like a dream." The problem is you want it to sound like an acoustic guitar. I don't need an electric guitar that's just louder. I want a guitar that sounds like an acoustic plugged in because acoustics are great, but they're a pain in the ass plugged in. A lot of times they don't sound as good as they did acoustically. So I, I get the appeal. When you say they're overpriced, I, I don't know what the right price is, but that's a shell shocker of a price. I mean, it's like two grand. I think the main Mexico ones are like 12. Okay, Mike, by the way, he's a member. Thank you, Mike. Mike says, hey, if I buy some, if I buy something from Sweetwater, you have reviewed. How do you, I make sure you get credit on Sweetwater? If you talk to a company like, you know, Fender or Gibson or, you know, Harley Benton, not Harley Benton, maybe Harley Benton, I don't know. Uh, you know, Ibanez, uh, you know, Sire. And you talk to them and you say, hey, I saw, you know, Phil McKnight on YouTube. And and I always appreciate that because that, that affirms to them that this is a good play. In other words, you know, sending guitars out to the channels is a good idea or sending product out so we can talk about it and look at it is great. And so I appreciate that when you guys do that, because believe it or not, uh, this YouTube gig, which I've been doing for many years now, and no matter how, how much you do, this is good news. I always say this. If you have a small channel, here's the good news this is the bad news. I'm going to give you is the good news. I don't care how many subscribers you got. Uh, and and I, I'll say this over and over again. I don't care what all these little channels say when they say this stuff. I don't care what anybody says on YouTube. Uh, there is no number that I have seen where you get any respect uh, from companies as a whole. Um, what I find is companies either respect you as a person and that's just their attitude. For instance, I.e., like the Ingle guys are just really cool to me or Pedal Pal, you know, Luis and Alvaro become friends or Lawrence and I become friends or Larry DeMarge and I become friends. Like you just meet people and you like them. So you tend to talk to them. John at Bad Cat, you become friends. None of them uh, look at my channel or what I've you know done with the channel as some kind of like qualifier of you know, anything. They just, you know, we get along and we talk and then we do business with each other because we are friends and you want to do business with people you enjoy to, to, to interact with. The reason I tell you that is there's this constant thing that I see and I see it more and more now, especially with small channels. And I understand why they're doing it, but they're not really educated on it. So they're, they're just shooting out their ass, which is like, oh, if you have this channel, then the companies bow to you. Sweetwater, and this is why I'm telling you, I'm telling you this, Mike, because it's good. I'm going to tell you how to help me, but I'm also going to tell you why some of it doesn't matter. Sweetwater is a billion dollar company, and I'm a gnat. We're all gnats. You know, we're not on the radar. Fender's the same thing. Everybody, you guys see it all the time. Fender sends out 50 guitars to 50 channels. Uh, I'm not on the radar, so I'm not, they don't send me guitars. It's not a personal thing. I don't have a vendetta. They don't have a vendetta against me. There's no issue with me and Fender. Just whoever's doing the marketing doesn't see my channel, doesn't exist to them. 
uh, because they go on YouTube and there's 50 other channels that just pop in their feeds, right? Maybe they like uh, Mary Spender and then Mary Spender leads them to uh, another channel and another channel and another channel. And that's the channels they end up seeing as, as relevant to them. And I just don't put on the radar. That's why sometimes when, when, when I do work with a company, especially when I'm buying guitars, you know what I mean? When I'm personally buying them and you guys liked it. And if you have an opportunity to tell a company that was successful, that helps me because maybe next time I don't have to buy the guitar to do the video, they can send it out. All that being said, when you guys buy from Sweetwater, I will tell you guys over and over again, please call them and get a deal. Just ask for a deal. Look, I don't, I don't, um, Sweetwater doesn't pay my medical insurance. They're not going to be the make or break for my channel. Like a lot of channels, they are another entity like Amazon, like Reverb, who have affiliate links and affiliate links, like I said, are you guys randomly click things and then you buy things. There's percentages given to the channels. And I will tell you what I tell my close friends. I'll have friends call me or text me. They're like, hey, send me a link. I'm going to buy something right now and I want you to get credit. And I'm like, I appreciate that. But honestly, if I typed up a link and created a link and sent it to you, the time it took, what I got would never make sense for that time. The way that affiliate links work is you just put them all over everywhere on your videos and then as you guys click and are interested in things just randomly people buy things and then 1.2 million views per month on youtube and if one percent of those people click on a link and you know and then one percent of those people buy stuff it, it translates into something that helps the channel which is good and that's why i like doing it but when it comes to this stuff i would rather you guys get 10 percent off a cook because what they give me is not not nearly what they would give you. So for instance, I believe most of you could get five or 10% off. If you ask, they're not giving me five or 10%. Um, so I would rather you, <laughs> I'd rather you save 50 bucks than give me five. Does that make sense? Um, it will happen or it won't happen. So the, the point is the reason one, I know that Mike, that's not the core of your question, but I wanted to go to that. And the reason I say that is, is this, um, you know, like I told you, the Sweetwater guys, they watch the, the podcast a bunch of times, they might see this one and they watch what you guys ask about and they've sent it out to the channel and they've interacted with a lot of channels. And I think Sweetwater gets YouTube, I'd like to say better than everybody else, but they're the only ones that seem to get it at all right now. So as a retailer platform, um, AMS gets it a little bit too, but that's, I think that's mostly just Greg. The guy who does it there is, I think he's smart and he knows what he's doing. And I don't know if his company's too on the ball. I don't know. I just know that Sweetwater is actively paying attention to this market and to you guys and what's going on. And that's why you see it so much. I keep saying, you're going to see lots of Sweetwater because they're going to keep actively, they're, they're seeing the opportunity right now. My point is if you were to call Sweetwater and tell them like, Oh, I, I saw a video with a film night. That is very kind of you. But it's not, it doesn't translate anything to, to me. Uh, they don't, you know, they don't do anything. They don't go, oh, a lot of people said they like you. <laughs> Sweetwater, I predicted this uh, for my channel. I said months and months ago, and if not years ago, I said Sweetwater will start actively working with tons of channels. And I kept saying that over and over again. And I kept saying, you're going to see Sweetwater everywhere you go. And a lot of you guys are probably getting Sweetwater to death. What I want you to know is that Sweetwater does not send me guitars because uh, you know, they know you guys might like the channel. They sell the guitars because they see the affiliate numbers and they know how that translates. And say with Donner, they have, I don't get affiliate dollars from Donner, but they have what's called trackable links. They know how much activity they got. So when they see a video and then all of a sudden they see $20,000 or $50,000 or $150,000 in sold product off that video, they're like, yeah, we're going to do more of those. That's as simple as that is. And that's why I utilize that. What I do with those companies, what's nice about that, and this is why I tell you this, is if you notice how I, I've been interacting with Sweetwater, I've been trying to do giveaways, like I see Robert Baker doing, which I think is smart, because it's, uh, one, it's cool to do, and two, it's fun. And also, I also like to do things where, for instance, uh, this is a funny, like I said, you can't make this stuff up, it's so crazy. They sponsored my Personas video the other day, my podcast rig. What's funny about that sponsorship is, I do use Personas, right? So in other words, they didn't send me that product, they just sponsored the video. So so I could make it. And what was great was the Persona Studio uh, Live uh, AR8 that I have in the video, if you pay attention, it's two years old, like I said. So it doesn't even look like the new one. They've changed the design since then. But they didn't say like, oh, it's the not relevant model number. Uh, they just said, let's sponsor it. So that's great for me. I can do a video. Think how great that is. That video, um, that video, I want to share with you guys. So that video I posted it, uh, it lost five subscribers. So I didn't, <laughs> that means I'm net five negative. It made $47 and 44 cents because it's Christmas time. And this is peak advertising rates. 
Does that really matter in the grand scheme of things? I don't think it does, but you can imagine what I'm trying to tell you is what I'm trying to tell you is, is that basically YouTube's like, your viewers aren't interested in this. Don't make this content. And $47 is not a little. <laughs> it's not nothing. Uh, it's not like the video took two days. As you guys know, it wasn't a really in-depth video. Uh, probably took, probably, I had to reshoot it because a couple times got messed up. So I probably reshot it three times. And then if you figure editing, I probably have four or five hours into it. So about 10 bucks an hour. Minimum wage in my state is 12 bucks an hour. So 12 bucks an hour, maybe. It's good. Not a windfall video by any means for a large channel. Uh, what's my point? I didn't have to think about any of that because Sweetwater's like, we'll sponsor the video. So I was like, all right, cool. It'll pay for my time and everything works out. And so I thought, but if you, here's why, this is why I like this. This is why I like this. I want to tell you this. So great. As you saw, YouTube told me, don't make this video. Your viewers don't like it. I lost five subscribers net, which means probably I got like 10 and then I lost 15 and I netted negative five. And uh, I made $47. And ultimately, none of that mattered because if you look at the comments of the video, uh, the comments are amazing. It's most of you guys going, oh, it was really cool that you gave me insight onto how you do your podcast rig. And I was like, so I like doing that video. So it kind of worked really, really, really nice when I can work with a company like Sweetwater for stuff like that. That's where I see the benefit from those relationships. So get back into Mike's question is, you know, could you you know say something to them? Sure, you can do it anytime you want. Support the channel. I appreciate it. But I kind of like to give you the guys the insights of this stuff. I think that's the whole point of this weekly podcast is to talk about things that maybe you guys don't know or see. See, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we're just supposed to talk about something else. Fret Level Midnight says, I get more mail from Sweetwater than I do from any other company, and I don't think I've spent even a grand total through them at all. Well, they're aggressive, man. They really want to uh, own the market or build the market. I don't get anything from Sweetwater. <laughs> uh, like I said, I don't have any reason. You know, I have everything kind of blocked up. You can block all that stuff out. You can tell them. Just don't send you anything. They'll do it. I've never, look, and I've told you guys this before. This is what I was going to say. 80% of the time, that's very firm, I feel. 80% of the time, I'm not talking to anybody. It's uh, I. It's my wife does most of that stuff for me, and or and or I'm contacting them through her maiden name. And here's the funny part about this: as you guys know, 49 oh 4904 4904 suite number 151-103 Mesa, Arizona. I don't even know the address. Isn't that horrible? That's where that's my public address. I have a public address. Company sends stuff to it every day. Anything can be sent there. Okay, you guys, that's where when you see me open uh, fan stuff, uh, I open that stuff, all that stuff. Everything goes there. The reason that is important is uh, is that when I order something, you know, off like Sweetwater or Reverb or anywhere or, you know, Dawn or anywhere I don't want them to know it's me, it's my wife's maiden name. It's my home address. And they don't even know how that, they have, have no clue who that is. So I do it all the time. Why do I say that? I say that because I have experienced no difference in the way that I get treated from those companies, which is I, I tell them, please don't send me mail. Please don't send me candy. Please don't call me after the sale. I just put, it's all requested in those accounts. So if you don't like this stuff, I would do that. Uh, Curtis, who's a member says, Hey, I reached out to Toman for a discount on a B stock item. And they replied that their customer service doesn't warrant a disc discount. I don't do a whole lot of business with Toman. So I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I think I've only bought like one thing from Toman. I don't know where you're at in the world. Uh, in the U S Toman's really good. Sometimes like you can buy certain things from Toman just so cheap. You can't buy here in the U S for that. I don't know if that's true anymore. Somebody told me that the shipping is getting crazy there. Um, but here's what I would imagine. A lot of times on B stock items and stuff like that, they, they kind of like, it depends. Here's where I want to go with this. Sometimes B stock items and, and, and blims and stuff, they're eating it and not the manufacturer. There is both ways that works. Some manufacturers, uh, you know, and bigger companies, I would imagine, would deal with this even less. Like, I mean, like Toman and Sweetwater. In our shop, if we got a blim or a B stock item and it was not good, or, you know, uh, in other words, not the company sent us B stock, but we got it and then, you know, it was discovered that it was B stock. We would reach out to the manufacturer. They would give us some kind of credit towards it, and then we would pass the credit on to the customer and call it a day. But bigger companies sometimes will just eat that. So in other words, like they'll just sell it for a discount because their brain is like it's or not brain, but their company business model is like uh, they bought it for a hundred. It normally sells for one fifty. They'll sell it for one twenty, and then they make twenty bucks. It's not what they normally would make, but at least it's gone and everything moves uh, easy. So sometimes there's not room for them to discount. And also just because, and again, this is the great way to end this uh, uh, show today and this because of this comment, just because you called Sweetwater or you called AMS or, uh, you know, Guitar Center or Tolman and you asked for a discount and they told you no, that doesn't mean you shouldn't ask every time. Again, it's not demand a discount. I'm never saying you should demand a discount. 
I, I don't. You ask for it. Always ask. You never know what's going on, right? Um, I, I tell friends, like I've always said this for years. So I have friends and they're looking for jobs and I say, always apply. Apply all the time everywhere. The reason is, is because, you know, I, like I said, my whole life hasn't been this. I've been in the corporate world too. And corporate world, I remember sometimes HR would come down with mandates and be like, we need 50 people. And I remember you go through the resumes and you're like, there's like 10 people here to hire and you give, you give it to HR. And next thing you know, you saw 50 people because <laughs> everybody's getting through. You're like, eh, I know they're not qualified, but we need bodies. So they would hire them. That logic works for everything. So you, like I said, you may call uh, Curtis, you may call Toman again. And the next time you ask, hey, is there a discount you can give me? And they just happen to know that they're about to go on blowout or that the manufacturer's got a rebate coming or something. And then they give you the discount. Never hurts to ask. Um, my Sweetwater guy, I ask him all the time. Sometimes he says no. And sometimes he says yes. I never, I just never. If I want it, I want it. And if I don't, I don't. But I always ask. I send the email. I told you guys when I bought those um, uh, Music Nomad rulers, I said, hey, if I buy these in bulk, will you give me a deal? And he gave me a deal. And it was a pretty decent deal. I think it was like 20% off. It was heavy. It was like 15, 20% off. It was decent. Uh, and then the picks, no. <laughs> so when you guys are the patrons, you get the pick packs that I send you, the, the, uh, uh, Hercos and the uh, Primetones, they won't give me discounts on that. Nope, no issues. I mean, I still buy them because that's what I use. But uh, overall, I got discounts, and that's how I looked at it. So same thing. Don't don't be afraid to ask. It's no, nothing wrong with asking anything. Level Midnight said, Sweetwater is the most overrated company in the gear industry. I don't know why it would be overrated. You got to understand, they're the only ones that care about the internet. Let me be very, very clear. Guitar Center does not give a crap about you online. You're online, you know, being online. Online sales. Neither does... Sam Ash. And like I said, I'm friends with Sammy Ash, Richard. They're great guys because I like them and they're good business. And I've, I've referred a lot of friends and they've had a lot of great experiences, but they're not really interested in improving their website. They're not improving the website, uh, the web experience. Sweetwater is not the best. They're the only one that even tries. Them taking actual pictures of guitars and weighing them, you could say that's not a big deal, but they're the only ones that do it. Now some smaller shops do it and a couple people do it here and there. I've always thought, thought this. It's never about them being the best. They're just the only one that's doing anything. And some of you may not care. That's fine. But as someone now, like a lot of you, who's, uh, this is where I buy my stuff now is online. I want that experience to be as best as possible. I'm not looking for an Amazon experience when I buy a $3,000 amp. And I'm not looking for an Amazon experience when I buy a $300 amp, where I click it and there's one picture and I, I don't know. I had this issue a year ago with Guitar Center where the product I was looking at, their pictures were so outdated. So they were showing a model that was five years old in the picture. I had to email the actual manufacturer who flat out told me, said they said, and I believe them because now I'm friends with that company and they definitely would not lie to me. They told me that they kept sending every few months, they send Guitar Center the new updated pictures of the product. And the problem I had, I called Guitar Center on the phone and they were like, they couldn't answer the question, which is what I was uh, on the product. They added a feature and the feature was missing in the picture. So I wanted to know if it was there. It wasn't in the description either because they were using outdated descriptions. Called the manufacturer manufacturer confirmed that that is the current one and they did ship those guitar center and guitar center should only have those in stock and we should be okay how sad is that that sweetwater can just win because they just took a more update picture that's it that's the thing by the way and i've like always point this out 90 percent of the online purchases me personally i'm still buying from mom and pops it's collectively i just find wherever i find stuff Fred level says guitar center isn't their own competitor and not as a large entity i mean maybe reverb and small businesses but as a large entity they are the only competitor it's guitar center musicians friend versus sweetwater if you do that is the two entities in the U.S. Tolman over in Europe, sure, but in the U.S. Guitar Center and uh, Sweetwater are both billion-dollar entities online as singles. This is important. Here's why. This is important because we've already seen how this goes with Amazon. Somebody's clearly going to win the online market. Brett Lennon wants to Z Sounds. Z Sounds is American Musical Supply. That's the same company. So you have AMS and Z Sounds as one company, and they're not in the same ballpark as size as Sweetwater and Guitar Center. The point is, those guys have to pay attention because otherwise these other guys, they gobble up the market. There's a reason why these things keep winning out the way they are. Look at Reverb. It got bought by Etsy. Injar Jar says, what's the best way to support you? You're doing it right now. Uh, less than 5% of my total income I pull from YouTube is from any kind of company interaction, whether it be product, total product, or payment. So they're still the smallest... Uh, patrons, my second biggest, if it was ingredients on the, on the side of the, the, the videos, it would be first, I make my money from YouTube. Then I make it from Patreon. Then I make it from merch. Then I make it from affiliates. And then I make it from manufacturers. And like I said, watching is more than anything. Cause that's literally, and again, don't worry how long you're watching. I don't care if you watch a minute or 10 minutes, just as long as you, I just appreciate the support. I'm lucky to be even, I'm lucky to have two people hang out with me. 
<laughs> much less 800 of you. Surf by said Reverb got bought by Etsy. Yep. They sold it for $400 million to Etsy. Etsy is currently who owns Reverb, which is why the policies on Reverb are starting to mirror Etsy, which is kind of like Fret Level Midnight. What I'm getting at is I don't know how old Fret Level Midnight is. I don't know how your age is. So let me explain it in a way. I could name 20 years ago, I could name 10 larger size entity music stores that were the big players. And then of course, all the mom and pops, right? And the mom and pops make up the big part. And then now it's like just Guitar Center. Right. And then Sam Ash is second. And this is crazy. You should look online. Guitar Center is like 300 and something stores. And then uh, Sam Ash is this. I think the three biggest chains, it's still probably the side. I'm getting to do on memory. Biggest one will be Guitar Center, about 300 and something stores. The second biggest will probably be Music Go Round. I could be wrong. I don't know how many stores they have, maybe 60. And then you have Sam Ash, and I think they're like 30 stores. See the math? It's like crazy how it drops. But in the theory, we, we've been always waiting as an industry for another guitar center, right? Two big entities, kind of like the Walmart Target, right? Walgreens, CVS, whatever whatever analogy works best for you. Looking for these two entities, because that's where you, you and I win. When they have to fight for your business, we end up winning, right? Because they're they're working for us. When they own all the market, they don't have to work for us anymore. We're just stuck. This is your choice. So you guys will see online. If you guys see Z-Zounds, uh, Music123, AMS, uh, Reverb, um, Sweetwater, Musician's Friend, Guitar Center. I think I said Sam Ash. I could be wrong. I'm sorry. So we're just talking about the US, right? Maybe Music Go Round, right? Like I'm just talking online entities, right? So these are your sources in which you, you buy from, okay? You guys will see it as uh, a lot of you are going to see it like, well, I have 12 choices. <laughs> okay. And uh, that's great if that's what you're looking at. But if you look at sold, in other words, how much market share each company has, it starts looking like a much different picture. For instance, a perfect example of this would be, I'm, I'm not saying this is a fact. Okay. I'm just giving you a, 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 a scenario. What if I was to tell you that you could be living in a world where 40% of all stuff sold on the internet for guitarists is Sweetwater. And then the other 30% is Guitar Center Musician's Friend, Music 123, and Arts and Music, whatever their chain. Okay, that's 70%. And then the other 30% is Sam Ash, Mom Pop Retailers, Music Zoo, Chicago Music Exchange, all this stuff you add those in. This is just a theory. Again, we're not talking hard numbers, just giving you a scenario. What we've seen in other industries, we see this all the time. You guys will see it as like, okay, I still have 50 choices. Really though, if you're a manufacturer, you don't see it that way. To the manufacturer, if Sweetwater says no, you're screwed. That's how it was with Guitar Center for years. If you're not in Guitar Center, you almost can't survive. Look, the death of Peavy, a lot of that has to lay on the feet of Guitar Center. Uh, Hartley Peavy said he would never sell to Guitar Center. That was a fact. Anybody watching this that's been in this industry, I don't know how many of the 800 of you have been in this industry. Everybody knows. Hartley Peavy was like, we'll never sell to Guitar Center. Then they sold to Guitar Center. Well, they sold Guitar Center because Guitar Center bought one of their biggest accounts. Guitar Center bought it and dissolved it. My point, which is why I think it's important to, if if you care about this stuff, this is the business side. If you just want to enjoy guitars and play, just enjoy guitars and play. This is the nerdy side of the other side of this too. It's all nerdiness. Manufacturers do it too. We've seen Fender buy brands and dissolve them. We've seen Gibson buy a brand and dissolve it. If you have two or three companies, like I said, racing to win, like I said, it equalizes out. Right now, that's not what I see. What I see is one company chasing all the internet business and the other companies saying they're going to do it in five years which they said that five years ago. Now they're talking about another five years, which is why I tell you, it's not that I'm pro or against Sweetwater. I see them as the only player in the trying to dominate this market. Not since, not since Sweetwater's inception, not since, you know, the last 10 years. Since 2017, I've watched Sweetwater grow at a rate, I, it's, it's almost unbelievable to watch what I've seen. They added a $400 million building. <laughs> this is growing. No one's growing like these guys. They're just growing and growing. That growth is 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 going to have a change. It's just, and it actually, it's not going to have it. It is had a change. You see it. If you look at most of the gear you see behind me, most of it comes from tons of little stores that I just find and I like. The problem is, is they're not one-stop shops. You got to kind of go to who, like I said, almost all my Gibsons come from Bizarre Guitar in Reno. They always, you know, have a good selection. I always find the guitar I want and give a good deal. A lot of my hiring guitars comes from Eddie's Guitars. Yeah, BC Rich 581 says, Sweetwater recently sold to a venture firm. Right. Think about this. And when that happened, everybody, there's like a ton of videos. Go watch them. There's a ton of videos. This will be the death of Sweetwater. And then my video was the only one where I was like, 
I think they're going to grow like crazy. And what I've seen since the venture, look, I don't know what the five-year plan is. You're right. They could all be tanked out in five years, two years. I'm not arguing that. What I see now is it's insane what I'm seeing them doing, the growth they're after. Oh, okay. I gotta, I gotta end on this. Uh, Scott, uh, uh, groovy music lesson. Scott Grove says, I've never been able to donate instruments to schools. They always refuse. Scott, I love it that you say that, man. Dude, I, I agree. It's the thing that drives me freaking crazy. Um, I, I never understood that for a life of me. Um, I, so I agree with you. I appreciate you saying that because I, like I said, I, I find everybody loves to tell you, especially if you're on YouTube, you should donate that to a school. I'm like, you should try and donate to a school and tell me how that goes. Um, I had four. I like telling this story because it's just crazy. It wasn't even a school. It was to a, a, a Guitars in the Classroom charity. It's called uh, Guitars in the Classroom. I reached out to them and I said, I have four guitars. I like to donate them. And they said, well, the problem is we don't really take used guitars. I said, oh, well, these are brand new in box. This is, a, right? They're acoustics, brand new in box. I, uh, and they said, yeah, um, the problem is, is that a lot of people like to donate guitars and then we get them and they cost more to fix them up than to play them. And I said, oh, well, we're in luck because one, they're new guitars. And two, I'm a guitar tech for a living and I literally, uh, can ensure that they play amazing for you. And of course, if I'm full of crap, I guess you just throw them in the trash and you're right. I'm just going to give them to you. And they wouldn't take them. So if you guys remember, a lot of you guys are viewers, remember how that went down. Uh, they ended up, I've talked about that before on this show, and one a school teacher reached out to me and said that they do an after-school program and they would, they would love them, and I sent them to them. They were just doing it themselves, an after-school program. They weren't any kind of charity or anything. It's funny to me. I, I still, to this, I understand the logic of what they said. They don't want to inherit somebody's problems, but it's just weird. All right, guys, on that note, I'm going to let you go. Have a Merry Christmas if you so choose to to partake in that. If you don't, have just a great weekend. I will see you next Friday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And uh, as always, I want to thank you guys so much for your time. No, I guess I'll say know your gear.